Okay, so how this time is going to work. Um, I've got questions for them that I'm going to ask, um, and then we're going to take some time away just to do open Q&A. So there's two mic runners, as uh, Chad uh, very hilariously put up on our GroupMe page with Forrest Gump running the mic, so I appreciate that. We're going to have two mic runners, and so we'll do open Q&A in a moment, and you're able to ask anything that is appropriate, right? So hopefully not vulgar, uh, but... Uh, that is appropriate. So that means if you have a question about sex, you need to ask it. Don't feel embarrassed about it because everybody in here is at wanting, they're thinking the same thing and they're wanting the same question asked. So if you have a question about sex in marriage, go ahead and ask that. Okay? All right. At times, I will call on you as a couple specifically to answer, and then at other times, we'll just do open discussion on some of these questions. First question out of the gate. We need foundation of understanding about marriage. Our understanding about marriage. So, just foundational questions. So, Wheelers, what is biblical marriage and what is its purpose? Biblical marriage and its purpose. Yeah, I think if you uh, if you just look at Genesis one and two, you look at the teaching reaffirmed uh, by Jesus, by Paul, in uh, Ephesians five. It's just the commitment between one man and one woman and a monogamous commitment they make, um, ideally uh, something they happily enter into, willfully enter into for life. So you've got a woman and a man naturally born that way who commit to one another to stay married for life. And that's the basics of marriage. It's an institution that finally... Um, yeah, yeah, we can get to that. Uh, it's, it's, you're getting a window into our life. My wife's whispering in my ear. No, I know, I know. Um, the, uh, it's an institution, finally, that God establishes. So the state, because the state's concerned with the well-being of its citizens, the state will speak into marriage, and we've seen that. But at the end of the day, God is the authority to define it. All right. So how do we often misunderstand marriage? Maybe Aaron, you can speak into that one. <laughs> yeah. How do we often misunderstand marriage? I think sometimes we, and I apologize, I've got half my voice back. <clears throat> I think sometimes we look at marriage and we think it's a completion of something that we're missing in ourselves, not realizing that God has made us in his image and we are complete in him. We don't need that another half to you complete me kind of thing. It's not like that. It's not necessarily built for our happiness either. I think sometimes we misunderstand marriage to think that that's what will make me finally happy. Um, I think that's one of the things that I had to come to later in life is to understand it's more about my first year. holiness, first year, first day, first day, <laughs> <laughs> truly first day, holiness, not happiness. That's not to say that there isn't happiness and lots of joy in marriage. We have a ton of fun together, um, but that isn't the end goal of marriage. The end goal is to represent Christ in the way that we care for one another, um, in the way we conduct ourselves in marriage. All right, and be thinking of questions. As they're talking, we'll do an open Q&A after the next two questions. All right, so thinking about roles, this is open to you, all of you. Thinking about roles in marriage, what is the meaning of headship and submission in the Bible? We get that in Ephesians 5 and elsewhere. What's the meaning of headship and submission in the Bible, and how can this be misunderstood? Free game? I mean, I think... One of the things important to remember that both, particularly in Ephesians 5, that's funny I said Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians 5, uh, that both of those roles, headship and submission, uh, both find their meaning in our relationship to the Lord. They, they don't, they're not given to be lorded over or to be taken advantage of, but a husband knows what headship is as he recognizes Christ as his Lord. And a wife knows what biblical submission is to be as she thinks about uh, her submission unto the counsel and wisdom and guidance of the Lord. And so as we think about those terms, um, again, helpful to think about them in terms of uh, marriage being given as a picture of God's covenant relationship with his people. And in that we can, I think, begin to get some handles on what headship and submission look like. How can it be misunderstood? Anybody want to speak into that? Well, I mean, I think it can be misunderstood from a woman's perspective in that you can think, like, I don't have a say. I don't have a voice in decisions, in 
um, like he's always going to trump trump me. Um, but well, <laughs> I feel like you just can't use that word anymore. But um, and I think for me, like this was a real. This was a really stru- a real struggle for me entering into marriage, and I didn't think it would be. I thought like I had these glorious like ideas of oh I'm so ready to be married I'll just submit to my husband and um, and then I realized like I haven't been pra- I haven't really done that very much in my life with anyone. I mean I was like a firstborn child. I um, was in a lot of leadership positions. I realized like I'd work you know been in around mostly women in a sense like I'd been in a sorority and I was an education major and so I didn't have a lot of practice doing that um so it's difficult but and I think I felt a little like I'm going to be undervalued if I really do this you know if I really let myself submit um but the passage that has really encouraged and spoken to me the most is first Peter three and it talks about um the way to one of the ways to adorn yourself as a woman is to put on a gentle and quiet spirit, and I never felt like that was my like personality. But what I realized is it doesn't have anything to do with personality. It has to do with your inner being, with your heart, like submitting a gentle and quiet spirit to the Lord. And the example it gives is Sarah to Abraham, and it says um, that. You are her children if you do good and don't fear anything that is frightening. And right above that, it says, This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. And if you do that, you aren't fearing. And I think a lot of why women don't want to submit is out of fear that it kind of feels out of control. Like if I submit to someone else's plan, that's scary. Um, but you're actually not just submitting to his plan. You're submitting to God's plan and entrusting your husband. You're really trusting yourself to God. And it's really more courageous and takes more faith to do that than just to assert your own, you know, plan and opinion all the time. Um, it doesn't mean you don't get to do that. Like you discuss and we work together all the time. But ultimately, the way God set it up as Clay being the head is that even at the end of the day, if I disagree, God has asked me to trust him by trusting what Clay feels is, is best for us. So it's been a huge growing experience for me. And I'll just say quickly for the men, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, as the misconception or misunderstanding with men is that uh, we're to hang out, sit on the couch, and our wives serve us, but uh, really it's it's about service. So as a man, we're, we're called as a head to serve, just like Christ served. So, um. The only other thing I'll say is that I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so you know I was taught really early in school power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Authority can so often be used for evil, and so there was a distrust of authority. And when I got into marriage, I sort of brought that in. And so I didn't in any way attempt to lead and that in and of itself is actually satanic. You know, authority structures in the Bible are good. God is authoritative. He is an authority in our life. Now, the abuse of them, well, yeah, that is sin and that is wrong. Um, but to entirely disregard them merely for the abuse of them, well, that will lead to tremendous pain and hurt and frustration. And I mean, that was much of our first year of marriage. So literally, like within the first month, when her bags were packed at the door twice... It was in part over that very issue. She was looking for me to help lead, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm giving you the freedom to be who you are, right? That, that is showing love. And she's like, no, I'm asking you to help me make a decision. Yeah, I didn't have categories for that. So we just need to remember as men, particularly I think in the culture we live in, that to exercise authority, rightly as Clay said, in a servant-minded way, that is a good thing. And sometimes men choose passivity like the easier sort of short route of peace as opposed to leading in some hard ways. Yeah. Which Shrey would say too, like, I mean, obviously all of these things, roles, um, headship and submission, uh, I mean, Genesis 3 happened. And so then we have the reversal of God's designed order warring against uh, a man's call to lead. And so then a man is prone to passivity and a woman is trying to subvert that biblical order and lead in such a way that she's not intended to. And oftentimes... We play right into that song, and we we become we become what Genesis three said would happen, 
<clears throat> rather than fighting and warring against that and, uh, and operating within the spirit under the category that God ordained it differently and desires it differently and then covenanted with his people for it to <clears throat> excuse me, be different, um, finally. And then, so that's part of that everyday sort of grinding it out um, because the reality is that when you get married, you, you've never done that before. You've never been a husband. You've never been a wife. And so there's a sense in which, you know, Lee was saying, like, I thought I was so ready to be married, and, and we all did. And there's a sense where you, uh, you, you kind of wake up and go, I don't, I'm not sure I know what, it, what I'm supposed to be doing there was no manual, there was no job description, so to speak, kind of like when you have a kid, and you bring it home and you're like, um, gosh, I don't know, the nurses took care of this thing at the hospital. Um, <laughs> this thing, I like that. Now it's crying. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. So, great book uh, for you to write down on um, biblical manhood, womanhood, is Claire Smith's God's Good Design. Really good book at understanding a lot of what we just talked about. You can go and dive deeper into those issues in that book as well. Trey, I was going to say one more thing um, for ladies. So much of it is we can um, sometimes know the right thing to do and say, okay, it is like Lee was talking about. You have a discussion if you're um, trying to decide a direction to go. And, you know, let's take a simple example of, you know, you're looking to buy a house. And you like house A and your husband likes house B. And y'all have discussed all the pros and cons of both. Um, At the end of the day, you know, your husband likely wants to make you happy, but you need to encourage him to make the best decision that it is for your family and um, not do that um, with kind of a snarky attitude. Um, say, okay, I'll go with what you want, and then you're kind of bitter about it. It's really joy in submission, and that's honestly what makes it work so well. Um, Stephen and I, we do not do this perfectly all the time by any means, but you can see the greatness of God's design when we do these things with a joyful attitude, not just out of a, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to bite my tongue and do it. Um, You see that basically your husband feels supported when we joyfully submit and then they joyfully lead. It's this circle, sorry, it's this circular pattern that happens whenever we do it um, out of a spirit of love Because really when we um, have a snarky attitude about it, we're really snarky at the Lord. Because it's his design, and we're kind of mad at him that he designed it that way. So, um, anyway, just food for thought. Yeah, no, it's super helpful, super helpful. Um, Martins, I want to go back to you on this. What do these roles look like in the home just with everyday responsibilities? Children, lawn laundry, all these kinds of things. What do these roles look like fleshed out in your lives? And it can be different for each of you, I think that we would say. But Martins, go ahead. And Trey, stay off my lawn. <coughs> um, <laughs> Aaron Wheeler rolled up and watched Yard Day happen a couple of weeks ago. It's, you know, the lawn. So it's interesting. I was even thinking as, as we were talking about the previous question, and I think, I think the six of us probably had a, maybe a different picture culturally of what husbands and wives did because of the ways in which our homes were oriented um, generationally. And so, uh, and some of it, it's interesting because I grew up in a broken home where uh, I was raised by a single mom predominantly. And um, so I had to learn to do things around the house uh, quicker because there was no husband. Uh, So I learned to cook and do laundry and take care of the yard, take the truck. I mean, things that, you know, that, I mean, we're teaching our kids, but maybe not at the same pace. And so in our home, we, we genuinely love doing things together. And so I guess at the end of the day, there are things that Tamara is giving more leadership to, um, whether that be grocery, you know, making sure that what we need, we have, but that doesn't mean Tamara only goes to the grocery store. It just means when it comes to the online ordering of groceries, which she desperately loves, um, I don't have that app. I don't want to know about that. It's okay. Uh, and when it comes to like short-term finances, I pay all of our bills. I make sure things are paid on time. When it comes to long-term finances, because of Tamara's background, even her upbringing, we didn't think we didn't. I mean, my mom raised two kids on twenty-eight thousand dollars a year, and so we didn't think much about long-term finances. It was whatever your whatever your city retirement was, that was your retirement. So um, we worked together on things like that: cooking, cleaning, same thing. 
we're very much, uh, we love to do those things together. Now, I say we love to clean. Who loves to clean? Some of you do. But uh, it's a necessary thing. And it's been a great way, I think, for me to um, figure out ways to study and, and serve my wife when I know there are things in particular that she really likes done, but she just may be physically exhausted and unable to get to. So, for instance, she loves a clean sink, like just the sink to be empty at the end of the day. And, uh, and I mean, I like it, but it's not a huge deal to me if it's there, there the next morning. But a way that I can love my wife is, you know, before, because I, I usually go to bed a bit later than she does um, sometimes. And so I can load the dishwasher and start a load of uh, dishes or laundry or whatever. And that's a good way that I can serve her. So uh, maybe that starts to get at what you're yeah. asking. Yeah, no, that hits that. Yeah. Stephen does the lawn. He loves the lawn. He does it or the kids do it. Well, now that we have a little bit of acreage, it's all hands on deck, picking up rocks, picking up sticks, all, you know, so he doesn't kill anyone on the mower and shoot something. He loves the lawn. Um, And he does not let Kate and I take the trash out. He tells the boys that is their responsibility. It is gross. It is yucky. You take the trash out. Now, can Kate and I take the trash out? Yes. Do I have a little concern that my daughter's going to think she's above taking the trash out? Yes. Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. You know what I mean? It stinks. It's got to go out. Um, but there are certain things like I'm more intentional about teaching Kate how to cook. Now, my boys can cook. It's mac and cheese. It's pancakes. It's bacon. It's eggs. I mean, they can cook. Um, but there, I feel more of a responsibility to the things that relate to the home and to caring for children. I feel more of a responsibility to teach those things to Kate and to um, make sure those things are getting done myself. Now, that doesn't mean that I do them all. I will tell you there's a lovely lady in this room who helps me out a lot with some of those things. Um, But at the end of the day, it's my responsibility to make sure that those things are done. Um, Just like, you know, Stephen makes sure our house is locked. (laughs) I don't care if the doors are locked. I don't think about it. He is, but he takes on the role of protecting his family and making sure that we are safe. And obviously, that's ultimately in God's hands. But um, so, long-term financial things we work on together. But ultimately, it's his job to provide. And he, you know, while I may do more of the legwork on that long-term, he's looking at to make sure that we are doing things wisely. So, great, great. Anybody have anything else to add to that? Awesome. All right, so now it is time for question and answers. So if you've got a question, my runners are on both sides, please just raise your hand and feel free to ask a question. doesn't necessarily have to be on what was just spoken about. We can open it to anything so long as it has to do with marriage. Questions. Raise those hands. All right, Gabriel down front. Uh, yeah, go ahead, because it's recording. Let's go ahead and get a mic. Paula, and then who was the other one right here? Just behind him? Nathan? All right. Oh, it's got to be on. Should be hitting green. Is it going? There. Ooh. So during your dating relationship, what things did you do that had... Um, unexpected consequences in marriage? That is actually one of the questions we were going to ask, but let's go ahead and get to it. <laughs> unexpected what? What was it? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this positively. So okay? where'd you screw up, Clay? Where'd you screw up, brother? <laughs> okay, so... Um, we grew up learning about purity with our parents. Um, and so this is, I'm going to spin this positively. Okay. Um, and, um, so one of the, uh, we didn't realize the blessing of purity before marriage, uh, even after we got married, um, and, you know, meeting other friends and counseling people, uh, the consequences of, of purity, there's a consequence of, 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 not being pure before marriage. And so 
we were very grateful that we were, uh, you know, both pure before our marriage. And so it was a huge blessing. And we've, we've um, enjoyed the benefit of that. We've heard the, the other side from friends and counsel. And, and so anyway, that's, that's a, uh, I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but I wanted to well, I mean, I think we both kind of grew up, like, hearing, like, you're not supposed to have sex before you get married, you know, and it was more kind of like a rule, and, but, I mean, looking back, like, we didn't understand what a protection that was, like, it was, and so we, and, and, and if that's not the story for you, like, God can f- redeem that, but I would just say, if that's something you struggle with in the past, or currently, like, just get really aggressive about seeking help and like getting accountability and like making a decision from this day forward to you know remain pure for your spouse because it's such a gift and um we're just we just say all the time like we're so thankful like we don't have to compare each other to anybody else and there's just kind of an an innocence in a sense in that and and it's such a gift and it and it and it wasn't like oh we were so good i mean it was a grace and we of the Lord, and we both look back to relationships we were in that we're like, I mean, we could have easily messed up big time, and we did. We weren't, it wasn't like we were 100% pure, I mean, but, and even those things, I mean, have consequences to some degree, like, I don't know how, like, detail-oriented you want to get, but... Um, no, you can be as detailed as you like. I mean, I mean, just, I guess... I'm trying to think how to say this. Like I had, like, like, like I had a serious boyfriend in college who was not Clay, and I mean, and we were relatively pure, you know. I mean, we had our struggles, but like sometimes, <laughs> I mean, sometimes like I'll have like weird dreams about him. I'm just saying, like, I know that sounds weird to say out loud, but I just think you don't realize even like way down the road how these things can, be, you know be impactful in your life, like the choices you're making right now, and um, so I just want to encourage you to just, like, you know, your your purity is a gift, and even if you've messed up or currently struggling, like, there's redemption, and God can, you know, give you a new path in that, and it's just really important. So. Anybody else, anybody else want to add anything? Um, I think the other... On top of that, because that is, I think, primary, obviously, to it, but emotional um, is another side. I think Brad and I, we grew up together. We dated on and off through junior high, high school, and college. We dated some other people as well, but we wasted a lot of time. So I, if you can just give yourself and drama. Who's going to get the CD collection? <clears throat> what? You know, like when you when you have a serious relationship. This was during the eighties. This is yeah. This is, this you is guys know 80s. what CDs are, right? It's like eight tracks. The 80s. Well, no, but when you when you're dating for a while and you have like we had music and like CDs in the car and the rest, you're like, who gets this stuff? When you when you have a dating relationship, that you treat like marriage and you separate. It just tears apart in a way that God didn't mean those relationships to ever exist, and it just it creates pain and holes and hurt. And so I appreciated last week that you said, you know, we, we want to pursue dating relationships or courtship relationships, whatever you call them. Pursue them with an end when you feel like you're mature and ready to be married. And if you're not, kind of begs the question, what are you doing? Like, how, in, how are you protecting that other person's heart? How are you seeking to care for them? What benefit are you seeking to derive from this other than your own personal pleasure? I totally ripped the mic from you. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage in action, Bailey. <laughs> Uh, no, but they, what are you saying is right. I think there's, I would encourage you, if you're not in a position where you feel like you could be married soon, then pursue friendships with the opposite sex, not exclusive relationship with them, because it brings with it a whole host of emotional baggage, as well as physical baggage, which is even more difficult. Um, and just wait. Enjoy having relationship with other people. It helps you to be single-minded towards the Lord as well. I wasted a lot of time. I could have been investing in other people, discipling younger girls, being involved with junior high girls and, while I was in college, rather than trying to figure out what was going on between us. Um, and I feel a loss at my age now, you know, in my 40s. I think, gosh, it's really sad that... So I try to instill that now with my kids. Whether or not they are going to respond in the same way, I don't know. But we talk about it a lot because Brad and I said we did not do it the way we would hope our kids would do it. 
we would not encourage them to date the way that we did. Even though we, are, we were the best of friends, we also didn't have any other friends necessarily because we spent so much time trying to work it out, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is good. Fellas, I think if you're in a relationship, you need to lead in setting boundaries, whether that be emotional, spiritual, or physical, mm-hmm. just as a helpful little piece right there. So Nathan, you've got a question? Yeah, go ahead and state the question. I'll repeat it. I'll repeat the question. Go ahead and state it. So what, is, what does pacing look like before marriage? How does that play into marriage as well? Yeah, I think one of the things that Aaron just recommended is if you don't feel like you're in a position to be married, then, uh, then develop great mutual friends uh, or uh, opposite sex friends that you can just enjoy being with. And honestly, that was, that's what made uh, when Tamara and I began dating, that was part of what uh, made our pacing, so to speak, um, accelerated because I had – been in ministry settings. I had been in friendship settings. We had been, we had done all kinds of things together as a group of friends. I knew basically who she was by the way that she interacted with her friends and me being one of them. And so for us, um, you know, I think we pursued, uh, once, once we began dating and honestly, for me, the biggest sort of hurdle to get over with dating her was, Wondering in my own head, am I about to mess up a friendship if this doesn't go right? Um, and but that was ultimately fear. Um, and so as we began dating, I knew within—I mean, she knew quicker than I did—but I knew within six weeks that I wanted to marry her. And uh, so then it was just about for me, it was about man saving some money to buy a ring. Um, but and I'm not saying that pace is right for everybody. But we'd spent three years as friends first, and that friendship lent itself to a lot of cookouts, a lot of volleyball at Wilson Park, a lot of serving in ministry and going to church together and just spending time together as friends. And even in that, uh, neither one of us had any notion to date the other during all of that time. Um, because, and, and honestly, most folks in that group didn't. It was just like, you know, kind of like brothers and sisters hanging out together. Um, but as as college um, began to and actually, we both had a, we had mentor a mentor couple um, that both individually sort of pulled us aside and said, "Hey, have you thought about Tamara?" And uh, and at that time, I was like, "Well, no. I mean, we're just friends, you know." Uh, but then, as I graduated college and was leaving, my first thought was, "Man, I'm really I'm actually really going to miss her." Uh, that's really interesting. And so I went away, and uh, we yeah, I was. Uh, I didn't say I was the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> So, anyway, those are things I think of. So, the smart and the dumb alike can get married. That's right. There it is. All right. So, I want to go ahead and move to a couple of questions that I've got, and then we'll move back into question and answer in a moment. Okay. So, looking back, what do you wish you knew before you got married? What do you wish you knew before you got married? Or how were some of your expectations reoriented when you got married? We talked a little bit about understanding marriage with you all, but what are some things that you wish you would have known? before you got married. This is open to anybody. I'll just say y'all don't have long enough to sit and listen to all that. <laughs> There's a <laughs> lot. <laughs> but, I know. But it's, it's great because you figure it out and you learn together. And I think I had read a lot of books about marriage. And I had had some great mentoring and teaching. Like, I thought I knew a lot about marriage. And I thought I knew a lot about what Stephen should be doing. (laughs) Which is not helpful, in case you're wondering. I mean, it was to be an encouragement, but not to nag. And two, those books are written all by different people. And I felt like most of what I read was pretty theologically sound. But they're also written by people with different personalities, different backgrounds, different daily habits. I mean, it is... um, so I think, especially girls, we can go into marriage with this list of, you know, 
things that we think our awesome husband is going to do. And honestly, he's probably going to do some even more awesome things than that that you don't even realize you're not even expecting. Um, but I think sometimes our expectations are for a rock star spouse on day one. Um, and by that, we mean a rock star spouse that's fulfilling the needs we think he should be fulfilling, which is also kind of messed up. Well, it's really messed up because we think it's about us. Um, so anyway, I would just say to keep your focus and your expectations on the Lord, not on your spouse. I mean, like, today, that solves a whole lot of arguments when you're not trying to have your spouse fulfill needs emotionally, spiritually, that you're only the Lord can fulfill. Which I think just speaks into that... Uh, a way to evaluate whether or not you're in a position where you're ready to marry is as you just take sort of self-evaluation of your satisfaction in the Lord. Am I pursuing the things of Christ? Am I conforming my life to his word? Am I serving? Am I giving of, of my time and myself in such a way that is sacrificial for kingdom work or investment, you know, in, in the needs of others? I think those are helpful things um, to just a little bit of a litmus test. And then another thing I think we often do when we do premarital counseling is uh, is we talk a little bit about uh, the reality that, you know, if you've ever been on a mission trip before, you go through all of that mission trip, pre-trip training, and you're talking about whether it's a warm culture, cold culture, all those things, um, significant, you know, the, the lay of the land, what's the terrain like, what kind of clothes <laughs> do you need to pack? But the, at the end of the day, you know, I didn't really know what Africa was like until I got off the plane in Nairobi. Um, and walk down the steps and you realize, oh my goodness, like this is what Africa looks like. And it's a little bit like that with, with regard to all of your preparation in marriages. You can read books and you, can ha- and you ought to have mentor couples and you should have great premarital counseling. And yet at the same time, there's uh, a sense where the first time, um, you know, your wife doesn't, you don't have to take her back to her house or back to her apartment. And then life is real and expectations are having to be realigned um, in such a way that, again, the focus is how are how does this life from this upbringing and this life from this upbringing, how are we together going to honor God in our marriage? And that means the, that means the death of expectation uh, that we bring into it from a sinful perspective. Um, and we're moving towards sort of oneness with Christ as the center. That's great. We... This is just a really practical thing, but I think roommates are a great training ground for marriage. And so if you think not, about not, uh, not your boyfriend being your roommate, roommate, but your current <laughs> just to clarify. Just to clarify. Like So boyfriends your don't need to be roommates. Roommates that are your friends. Yeah. Okay. Like in your dorm room or whatever. Um like if you I can't even really say that. Um if you like, think about your current situation and any struggles that you're having, even just, like, disagreements. or, And you think, oh, it's just this roommate's fault. Like, if I just have it, when I have a better roommate, I won't have these problems. That's probably not true. It's probably something that you're doing. And, and I remember, like, looking back, I think about how I wasn't very thoughtful of my roommates or I didn't try to, like, pick up very well. And, I mean, that seems like just practical things, but I think growing in those things right now does really help you to love your spouse well and just show I mean just basic kindness and courtesy because you can get really comfortable with that person and think it doesn't matter and I think that can happen with your roommates too but it does matter and so I think the way that you're treating the people that are really closest with you and a lot of times you know the people that you live with are the ones that see you for who you really are and it's easy to think well that person's the problem but that is exactly how you can be in marriage too you can just think it's that person's problem and not mine, but it's not true. God reveals our sin through other people. One brief thing I was going to say is we tend to think of marriage as the end of waiting. So I know when I first became a Christian, I remember learning about the Lord's coming. And I, I remember thinking distinctively, like one of my first thoughts, I hope I get married before he comes. And I also remember thinking, oh, should I be thinking that? Is that right? But I kind of didn't care. I'm like, oh, I just want to be married before he comes. He can come after I get married. Um, and the reality is you, you, you wait for that, and you anticipate, and you prepare, and then you get into marriage. And then you realize, 
okay, well, actually, I'm still waiting. I'm waiting for the kind of marriage I'd like. I'm waiting for the kind of job I'd like. Now we're waiting for kids. We're waiting for the means to do things we'd like to do with our kids. You know, the waiting only continues in different forms. And so you you got to be aware of that going in. And that's in part because the Lord didn't mean for us to be satisfied in the gifts he gave, but in him. And so you, you know, the, have to always keep that first and foremost in your mind, even as you approach marriage. That's great. Another great book uh, for those that maybe end up getting married someday is Paul Tripp's What Did You Expect? Another great book for that. All right, um, Wheelers. We, we're about to come to it in just a moment. Keep your questions. We're about to come to it at the end. Um, so, Wheelers, in what ways has membership in a local church helped your marriage, and what should be the church's role in your marriage? Um, well, something kind of to tie in from last time. A little closer. <clears throat> that uh, I think you have to be really careful of comparison. Comparison can be the death of a marriage. Uh, each God has created us individually, and so marriages are going to express themselves individually. Um, we need to set our expectations based upon what God has given us in Scripture, which is the black and white, not the gray areas. Um, so you, that would just be my caution as far as what you know going forward. Um, so I love what you said about the books because I read a lot of books, and then I got in marriage. So I'm like, what in the world? Um, they, yeah, we're not doing what the book said, and I'm not sure if I if that's okay, and what do I think about that? Um, and that's where the local church membership can be so helpful because you have real-life people dealing with real-life marriage struggles that you can go to and say, is this, is this normal? What should we think about this? Should we be changing this? Um, should I be praying through this? Do I need to say this? Um, my little tagline to wives is, when do you say it and when do you pray it? Because it's really hard. Sometimes you're not sure if you just need to be, if you're running off at the mouth or if you just need to bring that issue before the Lord and sit. And that's where church membership can be so great. Yes, you can have relationships outside the church, but when you're fellowshipping, every week and sitting under the same teaching and you've covenanted with them um, to carry their burdens and to rejoice with them and weep with them, it creates a bond of family that's like we're all these little families kind of working together for the greater good of marriage and individuals. I'm just going to highlight, that's the importance also of intergenerational friendships. So great to be here, great to be with people in your same season of life, thinking through things together on college campuses, etc. But if this is the extent of your relationships and you enter into marriage, you don't have the resources you need. Like, you've got the scriptures, I recognize that's finally sufficient, the Lord and the Holy Spirit. But he's gifted in the local church all these other individuals that have decades of marriage experience that are there as a resource and there can help you, and you need to exploit that. You need to use them. And you can tell them, I told you that. Well, don't, I'd say don't underestimate the, the beauty of being in other believers' homes um, that, are, that are in the next season above you. And so I was taking inventory, guys, as I was in the home of a married man who had kids. I watched him love his wife. I watched him do conflict resolution. I watched him discipline his children and love his children and nurture them. And as a guy who grew up without a dad in the home, I was learning invaluable lessons in ways I didn't even know I was learning. That's great. That's great. All right. Uh, Q&A right now, and then we're going to close with singleness. A couple of questions on singleness. All right. So questions that you all have. So there's a couple right here uh, that had a couple of questions before the question I just asked. So, all right. Make sure the green light is on. Hold the mic up to your mouth. So uh, my question is that... Um, as State your name real quick. State your name. Uh, for my them. name? Uh, my name is Rahul Vishwas. I'm from India. Okay. Uh, All right. So my question is that um, before we, as we know, when we fall in love, when we care about our partners always, and there's a fear. I'm, I'm not uh, predicting that I'm not able to describe that it's fear or care to lose your partner always. And it's in your mind always. I mean, just caring for her and uh, just always taking care of her. But ultimately, we know that it is a gift from God. But finally, we, uh, we just want to do her always with us. But we know she is true with us. But after all, there is always some fear. So how do we manage those fears? Okay. Yeah. So how do you manage those fears of losing as a spouse? Losing the one that you love. 
Yes, we talked in death, in I'm death. assuming in death. I mean, I think quickly what I would say is um, I would want to evaluate um, whether or not my care for her has been elevated above my pursuit of Jesus. Um, because if, I, if everything I'm doing is hyper-focused on my wife, then I'm not, hyper, I'm not focused on honoring God in my relationship with him. And so I think just as we think through the reality that I'm only as good a husband as I am faithful to my relationship to Jesus, then I'm able to receive Tamara as the gift that she is to me, but I'm, then I'm not idolizing her. I am pursuing her in a way that Christ pursues me and the church, and then I'm able to love, cherish, care, honor, protect, serve her in, a, in those ways without um, overly focusing on everything being about her. And, and even though that can be born out of just genuine love, um, it can also be misplaced and, uh, and actually lead me down a path where I'm no, no longer um, able to lead her in a way that honors the Lord. But I may end up leading her in a way that only makes her happy, but it doesn't finally honor Jesus. Yeah. Is that helpful? Yeah. Other question? Question. All right, am I on? <clears throat> All right, so my question is, once you're married, this is mainly for the women. Chandler Abbott, by the way. Hey, my name's Chandler. So, okay. Um, uh, once you're married and uh, you're talking with your wife about whether to continue with your career, staying home with kids, or a combination thereof, to talk about, like, how you came to that conclusion, what kind of balance you have with that. The million-dollar girl question right now. <laughs> I think Robert Lewis, uh, who developed men's fraternity stuff, um, he once said that... Um, that every mother ought to have the opportunity to stay home if she wants. Um, because, and, and he would say that if, if that opportunity isn't given, then it, it can create bitterness because of uh, the unique gift that my wife or wives have to nurture and to, to raise children. And so, um, I mean, Tamara works now because she wants to and she loves what she does. But at the end of the day, I, we, as we kind of regularly check in about work, I tell her all the time, you, you can quit whenever you want. Um, so if you love what you do, great. If you don't want to work anymore, that's fine too. Um, and at the same time, Tamara feels strongly about um, having, uh, I don't know the right way to say it, but basically, um, you know, should something happen to me, you know, she, she likes that she has marketable skills, things that she can do to provide for herself should that ever be uh, necessary, but it isn't, that's not the ultimate goal. Um, I think in the day and age that we're in now, it can become kind of a hot topic because it's this idea that you're oppressed if you stay home. Um, whereas I think biblically there is um, a flourishing that happens at home for women because naturally we are built to be nurturers and caregivers. But um, that doesn't preclude us from working outside the home. So coming to that decision is that's one of those comparison issues you've got to be really careful about because what every married couple decides to do as they move forward is unique to them. But it should be done in the context of a local congregation where you've got input um, because so much of it, it can be. So I know my sister well enough to know that she's not doing her work out of vainglory. She just, I, I, I can't handle it. I got to go out. I'm, I'm not um, fulfilled. I need to get fulfilled outside the home. If that, if her eye is outside the home, there's a problem. But if she's doing it for the greater good of her home, I think that's what you see in the Proverbs 31 woman, which is, by the way, proverbial. I mean, she's not obviously doing all those things all at once, or she would never be sleeping or eating, basically. But she, her, all of her heart and her mind are homeward bound in her work. So whether it's work within the home or work outside the home, it's for the greater good of the home. And I think that's what you see in the grand, God's grand design for men and for women, that that's how we've been geared to do that. But there are say, seasons where you're dealing with um, a man who is sick and a woman does need to go out and work full-time and the husband is home. I mean, there are just things you just can't draw 
big, broad strokes. There's way too much nuancing that's going on there. There are a lot of great resources. Um, a friend of mine, Courtney Reisig, just wrote a great book called Glory in the Ordinary, where she's talking about homework, the work of the home, and how that's a shared institution that if you see roles for elders, that they are to be caregivers of their home, which means they are sharing in the work of the home. So it's not just that's woman's work and that's man's work. It's shared work. That's helpful. I'm going to go ahead and move to the next uh, two questions, to our final two questions. Uh, Brad, I want to ask this uh, to you, since you're going to have to leave here in a minute. How would you counsel those longing to be married but are still single? That's a good question. Uh, I think you have to look at why you're longing to be married. So that's just a good thing to do to always check the heart. And if, if some of the things we've discussed earlier are the primary drivers behind marriage, namely it's a sense of completement, marriage is going to give me that fulfillment, um, you know, I, uh, I can't be happy without it, well, then we need to be worried that we may have created an idol out of it. And trust me, the Lord will destroy that idol in marriage. So if you bring it into marriage... It's going to make an utter mess of it, and just to be aware of that. So you want to sort of look at the reasons why. Um, and then you just need to trust on the Lord's timing. Uh, the Lord has his own plans and purposes. I mean, we've been thinking about Job. And uh, Job's life did not go the way in which he intended or desired. And yet Job's life was able to give incredible praise and glory to God. And the Lord may call us down different paths. It may be that you feel desire to be married and to be married, and he doesn't enable that. He calls you to a different purpose. Well, that's where every morning you wake up, and there may be a longing of the heart, and you direct it toward him and recognize one day we will all be married to him. Like this marriage, I don't get it, but in heaven I'm going to look at her and she won't be my wife. I don't understand what that means, but I trust it's good and true because I'm finally and truly married to my Lord. And so we long for that day. We look forward to that day. We keep that day in mind. And it may be a fight every day, but you believe his promises. And you say, okay, singleness isn't a curse. Doesn't mean I'm a second-class citizen. Singleness is an incredible gift. And as you look at the, scar- the scope of the scriptures, singleness is extolled by the time you get into the New Testament. Relationships and families are be- being reordered even around the local family of the church. And so there are tremendous benefits I promise you there are days when my wife wakes up and wishes she were single. (laughs) Well, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Not hopefully most days. Maybe this morning, but that's a different story. (laughs) Hopefully that's helpful for you all. All right. (laughs) Okay, uh, so final question, open to all of you. How can I determine whether or not I'm ready to be married? How can I determine whether or not I'm ready to be married. I'll just say one quick thing, and then I'll walk out of here. Yeah, Clay Clay can take it from here. Uh, I think once you begin to see that marriage isn't about finding the right person, but about learning to be that person for someone else, and you're happy with that, that's a pretty good sign you're very close. Clay? Yeah, I think... um, you know, it was mentioned earlier about happiness, um, and that's a misconception. But it's it's about sanctification. So there's there's um, you, you better be ready to repent. You better be ready to get on your knees and ask for forgiveness and apologize. And and so um, there's a level of you haven't figured this out. I mean, even this morning, I'm saying I'm sorry for for not listening well and not so. It's and it's hard. I mean, you know how hard it is to say sorry or to say, uh, "Will you forgive me?" You know, so it's it's constantly relying on the Lord, and and your marriage has to be, um, you have to be just relying on God's grace. I mean, it's it's God's grace that Lee and I are, are here today. I mean, it's it's God's grace that that God stirred in my heart to say, "I'm really sorry," and I'm truly sorry that I didn't listen. You know. Uh, you needed me to listen, and I didn't listen. I'm sorry. So, um, so it's the local church is critical that you you know it's critical that you're that you're living uh, by God's grace. You're seeing that in your life, and and then if you're ready to be sanctified, then <laughs> you're ready to get married. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd say also just trust. Uh, if you're a guy, trust brothers around you um, that can speak into that for you. 
hey, and you know, even all the way back to roommate stuff, if you, if you really value and in humility can ask your roommates, hey, what are things about me that make me difficult to live with? And you can receive that in such a way that, you know, you don't, your feathers don't get all ruffled and you bow up, but you can just receive that, then those are helpful things. Um, as you have, prayerfully, you have somebody in your life who is discipling or mentoring you. Ask them, hey, what do you see in my life? Even as, as we've been meeting and, and talking about the scriptures or, or working through praying together, uh, what are you seeing that would, uh, that you're encouraged by? And where are places that, you know, you, you would, you'd encourage me to continue to press into the Lord? Um, so those are things I think can be helpful as well. Um, I was going to kind of tie into what Clay was saying about um, sanctification, that I frequently tell girls who are asking me this question, um, I don't think we're ready to be married until we're genuinely content and joyful about not being married, and we're most joyful about being sanctified as part of the bride of Christ. So if you're most joyful about that, and he is our perfect heavenly father and he's the perfect mate i hate to sometimes i can get sketchy but um he is the perfect mate so then are you ready to enter into relationship with an imperfect mate for the purpose of your own sanctification not for your role in sanctifying you do have a role in sanctifying the other person but your responsibility is to joyfully participate in your own sanctification All right, so hopefully you found a lot of food for thought and thinking about marriage. Um, and so right now, I just want to, I'm going to close in prayer, give a couple of announcements. You can find us online. If you have questions, you can find me or any of them or any number of people uh, within the church. But please feel free to ask questions, okay, so that you can get as much information now before you get into a relationship and even into marriage uh, at some point later down the road, potentially. All right, let me pray for us. And then we'll give a couple of announcements. Father, we praise you and we thank you uh, that marriage is a picture of the gospel, of that loving, sacrificial love of Christ who gave himself for his bride. And Lord, we pray that um, for those that you would allow uh, to, to get married, for those that who will be married in here, Lord, we pray that their marriages uh, would picture the gospel to the world and that the world would look in and wonder why their marriage is the way it is, and that they would be able to give testimony to what Christ has done for his bride, the church. Lord, we pray um, that for any students who do have questions, that you would um, give them boldness to ask those questions and to get as much information now as they need, Lord, so that they go into marriage as much as possible, um, just wisely pursuing uh, that and going into it um, with discernment and clarity as to how to live um, with their spouse in a loving, understanding, respectful, submitting uh, way. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.